I think just in, in culture in general in the West, like we don't really like talking about it. It's something we feel uncomfortable with. Maybe we've got anxieties attached to um, money, whether we've got enough, whether we've got too much, um, guilt, shame. There's all sorts of things. And I think when it comes to church, so often the, ment- uh, the mantra has kind of just been, we need more money, often because the roof's leaking, or, or so on and so forth. And so it feels often like churches are always after money. And so we've kind of developed over the years this kind of inbelt inflex to kind of not talk about it because it feels like a kind of danger zone. But here's the thing. The Bible talks about money in one way, shape, or form over 2,300 times. Now, as a statistic, that doesn't necessarily mean much. But by contrast, it talks about things like prayer and faith around 500 times. So money is talked about in Scripture four times, more than four times as much as, as prayer is. Like, I mean, that might seem strange. Like, why? Like, why would that be the case? And a lot of the time where um, the Bible is talking about money, it, it talks about it, and there's, there's very much a sense of, of, of a warning. Like, Jesus talks about money, and he, he talks about money as this powerful thing. He personifies it. He calls it mammon. You know, he, he describes it as this thing that can have power in our lives and not for the good. And when the scriptures are often talking about money, they are warning of the dangers, warning of the dangers of riches. And I I think sometimes when we come to this subject of giving, we come to it with a kind of like rules-based mentality, which so often we project onto God. We we think kind of being a Christian is about keeping the rules and doing the right things and ticking the boxes. And, And so giving kind of falls into that category. And it's like, am I giving enough? Yes or no? Therefore, is God pleased with me in my giving? Yes or no? Should I be feeling bad about what I'm giving or not giving? Yes or no? But that's just not the God we see in Scripture. That's not what God we see revealed to us in Jesus. You know, God chooses to reveal himself as Father. In fact, he defines what Father is. And a good Father, we've not all experienced this, but a good Father is one who wants the best for their children. They love them. They want them to thrive. They want them to do well in life. Um, and God's not just our Father. He's our Creator, which means he doesn't just know, he doesn't just want what's best for us. He knows what's best for us, like no one else does. You know, I, I, I've got um, little Seth, as you know. He's just coming up to 18 months. And um, he is always doing the things we don't want him to do. Um, but we don't keep the bleach like in a, a silly place. We, we keep the bleach kind of hidden away. Bleach is a powerful thing, right? It's, it's not bad in and of itself. It can be used quite well to like clean a toilet, but it, it has the capacity to be dangerous if misused. But if I saw Seth grab the bleach and run across the room with it, with a smile on his face saying no, um, which does happen, although thankfully not with bleach, um, I would chase after him and I'd be like, Seth, stop it. And I'd say, Seth, no, give me that. And I'd say, you are not to touch this. And I'd put it away. And he'd probably cry and he'd moan. And he'd feel like I was making his life miserable. But I'm not. I love him. I want what's best for him. He might not have the framework to understand that yet because he can't appreciate it. But as a father, that's what I'm trying to do for him. And that's what God's like with us. Whenever there's like guidance or commands in Scripture, it's not because God is trying to kind of cramp our style. He's not on an ego trip. You know, he's, he's not trying to set some laws just so that we can prove how much we love him for the sake of it. And he's kind of come up with them arbitrarily, making some of them difficult to really show our mettle. No, he, 
he guides us in those ways because they're genuinely good for us, because they're how we're created. And the same is true with money. We come at this feeling like God's, we're not doing enough, we've not got it right. And actually, God's coming at this wanting to bring freedom and life and blessing. And, and the scriptures talk about um, life and death as something that is, is kind of... Um, experienced in this life without us dying. You know, when we know Jesus, we experience life. Um, and, and to kind of be apart from Jesus is to experience death. And, and the picture we get when they talk about that, it's a bit like when I was growing up, we had, I don't know if anyone had one of these, one of these like handheld vacuum cleaners that's battery operated and you charge on the mains. It sits on a little stand on the wall and you pick it up and you you know, go and do your hoovering and then you put it back. And over a lifetime, what would happen is, is this hoover just slowly started, the battery just decayed to the point where, you know, it used to be you'd grab the hoover off, you'd put it on and boom, like that quickly. And so you'd have to strategically position it by the dust and, you know, really quickly get the stuff into the system. And I, I think that's a picture of life apart from God of life where Jesus isn't your source, where Jesus isn't the thing uh, who is empowering you or who's ultimately kind of leading and directing you, something else is, be it money or, or, or something else. It's, a, it's like the difference between battery power and mains power. Ultimately, when you're just running on battery power, over time, little by little, you kind of, it's almost like you decay away. But often it's so subtle that you don't notice it. And I think this is what it's like when money has power in our life. We're relying on that. That's the thing that guides us. That's the thing we live towards. And therefore, Jesus isn't, primarily at least. We might believe in our heads in him. We might, we might turn to him in prayer. But the, the main thing, the first thing is, is money. When that's the case, it actually begins to kind of corrupt us. But it's so subtle and so slow that you often don't notice it. And the danger is when money is the thing that guides us, and when often that means we'll have some. And, and the problem with that is that that will bring comfort, which then kind of can slightly <laughs> distract us and offset us from seeing the kind of inward kind of spiritual decay that's coming. And, and I don't know, I, I wonder whether there's some people here today who maybe you've come to a place of sort of just apathy in your walk with God. Maybe it just feels a bit kind of, everything just feels a bit flat. Or maybe you just feel a bit kind of dead spiritually. And I wonder if for some of us, if that's you, could it be that maybe what's happened is money's become the thing you're living towards. Money's become the thing that is powering you, not Jesus. He's in there, but he's not the main thing. So how then can we be people who don't live under the power of money, but live under the power of Jesus, live in the way he's created us to, and therefore live as his followers? I want to look first at a passage in um, 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 9, reading from verse 6. Paul's writing. 
He says this. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. I've got kind of three lessons today of, of, of generous giving. Three lessons of generous giving. The first is this. Generous giving helps us to rely on Jesus. Generous giving helps us to rely on Jesus. Paul in this passage is, is talking and he gives this farming analogy. You know, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. It makes sense. If you don't scatter ma- many seeds, you're not going to have many plants grow. And by contrast, he says, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Of course, like if you put lots of seeds out there, you're going to get lots of plants back or at least a higher return. Um, and he's kind of applying this to giving. Um, and then, you know, because he goes on, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Like, Paul seems to be linking giving generously and being blessed. He links giving generously and being blessed. Now, on the surface of that, it appears like what he's saying is kind of the more you give, the more God blesses you. But he's not saying that because that's not, that's not how the gospel functions. It's not transactional. It's not you pay for it. It's not that if you give God enough of the right things, he'll give you some things back, like it's a kind of reward um, punishment type framework. So, so what's he saying then? If he's, if he's saying if you sow generously, you'll reap generously, and he's linking that to blessings, what, what's going on? I think what's going on is here, there's a real link between verse 6 and verse 8. So whoever sows sparingly will reap generously. Uh, reap sparingly, sorry. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then he says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. What happens when you give? You give away the thing that you would be tempted to rely on. You give away the thing that you'd be tempted to hoard, that you'd be tempted to kind of keep for yourself, that you'd be tempted to kind of, um, you know, develop a dependence, a kind of a power relationship with. When you give something away that has the potential to have power in your life, what happens? Well, it doesn't have the same power in your life anymore because you're kind of letting go of it. And therefore, you know, it's not that like God blesses you more because you're giving more away. It's more that you become actually open to God's blessings, which he's already wanting to pour out on you, but which I think we can easily miss when we're not seeking them because we've got everything we need in the life we've got with the money we have. It's like when we give away, it actually opens us up to turn to Jesus and, and realize how much we need him. And actually, we didn't need some of this stuff we needed him, and he has everything that we need to provide for us. Generous giving is the practice that helps us rely on Jesus. And it is a counter-formational practice. What I mean by that is this. Um, we are always being shaped. 
you know, this world runs on ideas, it runs on worldviews, and those worldviews shape us, they shape the culture we live in, and, you know, the culture you live in kind of determines what, kind of, what's normative, what's valued, what's not valued. And we live in a culture that's shaped by the forces of two main things, and one is individualism, so, you know, life is about what makes me happy and what works for me, and I'm I'm this kind of autonomous being who decides what's right and wrong for myself and what works best for me. You know, anyone else telling me that is kind of determined as oppressive. So that's kind of individualism, but also consumerism. And consumerism is a worldview that um, operates on kind of, you know, you'll be happy when you have the right kind of stuff, the right kind of things, the right kind of lifestyle, the right kind of experiences. So if you cultivate, you know, the right kind of life with the right house and the right holidays, you'll be happy. And as people, even as followers of Jesus, who live within a world that, where that's the kind of dominant uh, scripts, it rubs off on us. It shapes us. Without us wanting to, it to, without us realizing that it is, it shapes us. It shapes the way we think. And we start to think in ways that actually are nothing to do with the way of Jesus, but we assume are normative because everyone else is thinking them. Like Generous giving is this counter-formational practice that helps us rely on Jesus. And what I mean by that is that it's almost like culture is a stream that we sit in. And when you sit in a stream, you slowly, however slowly or quickly, get moved along with it. You know, you go with the current. If you want to swim upstream, you can't just sit there. You've got to do something to go in the opposite direction, to kind of resist the current, to swim against it, to go, you know, it, it takes something. It's not something that if you were just passive... Um, you'll get there. You've got to actually engage in something. Generous giving is a counter-formational practice. It's like swimming against the stream of the cultural messages that assail us all the time, that constantly are kind of pulling us to rely less on Jesus and to rely on things that subtly but pervasively actually kind of deaden us from the inside out. I want to come back to 2 Corinthians in a minute, but I want to skip to um, a story in Mark's Gospel. Um, in Mark 12. It's a well-known one. Um, Verse 41, Mark 12. says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury, um, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So Jesus is there. Um, he sat outside the temple. They're observing where the place where the offerings were put. You know, people would come and they would put their offerings, and it, you know, there's a, a sort of public nature to it. It wasn't sort of hidden. It was, it was there. And you can imagine it's, there's a bit of bustle, there's a bit of you know, busyness, there's, a, there's a, a buzz in the air, and you've got you know, well-off people who've got, you know, they, they've brought their money in a bag, they've got so much, they can't just put it in the pocket, and they bring the bag along and it's chinking as they go, and, and they get to the front and, and they pour it in and you just hear that kind of sound of money upon money, that kind of metal chinking upon metal, and it, and it looks impressive. We're excited by it. You know, people are looking at, oh, wow, look at that person. Look at how much they're giving. And, you know, the kind of net sum that's being given is there's just so much in there, and everyone's wowed. You know, it's like if someone came in now and, 
presented me um, for this church with a check, you know those big, like massive checks, for £10,000. We'd be impressed, we'd be excited, we'd take a photo, we'd tell everyone, because it would be like, wow, look at this incredible act. And, and then in this crowd, this, this widow comes, and she's shabbily dressed. You know, no one's taking any particular notice of her. There's nothing particularly impressive about her appearance or her clothing. She can't afford that. But she comes to the front. She's not got a bag because there's not enough to fill it. And, and she takes out these two small copper, not even gold, copper coins. And she throws them in, just ding, ding. Like, you could miss it if you blinked. You know, she's almost maybe a bit embarrassed as she kind of does it. It doesn't, it's not much, it does, you know, compared to these people. Wow, like, and, you know, it's like someone coming in and giving me 20p. No one's taking a photo. No one's clapping. We'd sort of be politely thankful, but it would, you know, we'd almost feel mildly embarrassed. Thanks, but, you know, great. You know, it would feel like something of nothing. And yet Jesus is watching this, and he says, that widow gave more than all the others. That widow gave more than all the others. More? How can she have given more? She clearly gave less. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus looks on this with the eyes of the kingdom, not the eyes of the world, and he goes, she she gave more. Why? It says, because they all gave out of their wealth. You know, they came, the house was sorted, Life was looking good. The holidays were sorted. And, they, and, and they, they came along with the bag of money that they could have lost en route. It wouldn't have particularly mattered. You know, they had plenty because they were giving out of their wealth. And so they, they, they get to the front and they pour it in. And, you know, it looks lavish. It looks extravagant. But really, it's, there's no sacrifice involved. There's no difficulty. It's, you know, it, it's giving out of the, kind of the plenty that they've kind of got left at the end. And Jesus says the widow gave more. The second lesson of generous giving um, for today, I think, is this. That generous giving is not a, does not look like a budgeting exercise. Generous giving does not look like a budgeting exercise. Like, you know, I think one approach to giving that we can all sort of be tempted to fall into is we sit down, we've got our income coming in, and we, we think, well, okay, I've got X to spend on the mortgage and X to spend on, um, you know, kids and schooling and what have you, and then, you know, once gone some holidays, and we'd quite like them to be of sort of this nature, so let's put aside X for that, and then you want to do some day trips, so you put some money aside for that, you want to go out for dinner every now and then, so you put some money aside for that, the boiler might break, so we'd better make sure we put some money aside for that, and we want to save for um, a car that we want to replace in five years, so let's put some money aside to that, and then we kind of stop and we go, okay, wh- what have we got left? And, and we kind of give from just that. And the, the pattern that I see in Scripture is, is the opposite. It's not budget, then give. It's give, then budget. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there's this, there's this principle of kind of giving of the, giving of the first fruits. That, that, you know, this is an agrarian society. And, you know, the thing that actually you'd have the most to give wasn't necessarily money because you were living kind of hand to mouth. It was, it was food, it was produce, it was things you grew, it was the work of the land. Um, and people would... Uh, you know, harvest the produce, and, and God called them to give of the first fruits, which meant, you know, you take the best apples and whatever have you, your best potatoes, and, and, and you give of that. You don't kind of go, well, well, I've got the crop in, and 
well, I kind of feel like I need this, and then well, let's see what's left. There's a couple of potatoes, some are moldy, but never mind. We'll give those. It was you gave the best, you gave the first, and then you lived off the rest. And I think that's the pattern for generous giving. It's, it's not a budgeting exercise. It's the thing we do before the budgeting exercise. You know, we, we determine what we're going to give, and then we work out how we're going to live with what's left. And leads on to my third lesson of generous giving. So generous giving is the practice we, we do to help us rely on Jesus, that counterformational practice that orientates us towards him and away from the power of money. Um, it's not a budgeting exercise. And third, generous giving isn't self-evident. Generous giving isn't self-evident. You know, I would assume, looking at it through my eyes, that the rich people gave the most, that they were the most generous, and Jesus turns that on its head. You know, I, I think it's easy to assume that because we give a certain amount, that you know, if someone gave, came in and gave £10,000, we would all presume that an act of incredible generosity had occurred. But that's just that, a presumption. Like, for some people, £10,000 isn't generosity. Because some people have £10,000, it's just spare change. Whereas for others, £10,000 is but a dream. How do we know if we're being generous then? Because it's not self-evident. The amount by itself, however it might compare to others or to kind of public perceptions, isn't the indicator of true generosity. Jesus is saying there's something much more fundamental that actually is rooted in our hearts that kind of evidences that. And then we put that against the passage we looked at in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says this. He says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, how do we reconcile this? Because I'm going to put it out there that the people who gave lots at the temple had probably decided, to some extent, in their hearts to give that amount. I doubt they were miserable about it. So, What's the problem, Jesus? Like, you know, and uh, sh surely it's just as simple as think of whatever you want to give, give it, and crack on. Well, of course, it never is quite that simple because our hearts can be deceptive, can't they? We want to always kind of see ourselves in the best light, and so we, you know, forever constructing narratives to kind of excuse how and who we are. You know, I, I do it all the time at home where, you know, I'll be short with Katie or something and she'll be like, you're being really impatient with me. And I'll say, well, I'm not when I am, or I'll explain it away because I'm tired as if somehow that kind of makes it better. Um, you know, we're forever kind of constructing narratives to stop us to face kind of what's going on kind of within us. And so the heart can be deceitful. And yet we're told to give what we're, you know, filling our hearts to do. And yet, generous giving isn't self-evident, so we kind of end up in this like mess. So uh, what does generous giving look like? I think it looks like this. Generous giving is an exercise in being led by the Spirit. It's an exercise in coming before God and seeking Him for what He is asking us to give. And that might be more than we're giving. It might be less. But it's an exercise in coming before Him and letting him speak his truth into our hearts and reveal to us what generosity looks like for us. Because what generosity looks like for me will not be what it looks like for you or you or you or you. It will look different for all of us. You know, 
there's not a measure of generosity that we can kind of put out there and say, well, it's 100 pounds or 50 quid. Or, it doesn't work like that. And so we've got to come before God and say, what does generous giving look like? Well, it's the practice that orientates us on Jesus where we, where we look at what we've got coming in and we go, Jesus, show me what you're asking me to give. We give it and then we budget. And then we budget. That's what generous giving looks like. And that's hard because God doesn't always ask us to do the thing that feels comfortable. And, and, and I think if you're anything like me anyway, when you do that and God says, oh, I want you to give, I don't know, 200 pounds, I think the temptation is that for many of us, if that's more, for example, than we're currently giving, we'll feel a bit anxious about that. Oh, gosh, that, ooh, it'll feel a bit uncomfortable. And it will all of a sudden start firing off all these questions in my head. What about, what about, what about, what about that, what about that? But what if I can't, but what if I can't? And so the temptation will be to kind of engage in this kind of bartering exercise with God in our minds where we kind of downgrade the amount until we sort of feel a bit more peaceful and then give that because we feel relaxed about it. But we've got to remember, and this is just such an in, important discipleship kind of mantra, the way of Jesus is always the way of the cross. And that means many things, but it means this. The way of the cross is always death, resurrection. Death, new life. You know, part of what it means to, to be a Christian, to walk in the way of Jesus, is to die to our old self, such that we might rise to our new self in Christ. You know, that's the symbolism of baptism, that we're buried in the waters with Christ, and then we rise to new life in him as we come, come, out, come out of the waters. And, and, and here's the thing. Death never looks particularly comfortable. But there's no shortcut to resurrection. There's no shortcut to resurrection. In fact, when Jesus is encouraged by Peter to shortcut to the resurrection, to skip the painful crucifixion that, you know, is not really becoming of, of Israel's Messiah... Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because like, he's encouraging him to do something that actually would stop the resurrection from happening. You know, sometimes following Jesus involves you know, him, him speaking to us about things that make us a bit uncomfortable, that make us feel a bit angsty, because it's like, oh, but what about that? And, you know, will I be able to afford X? And, but I was thinking I'd go on a holiday that looked like that, and if I give that, I'm not sure that's going to be able to happen. But it's the way of the cross. It's death, but it always on the other side leads to the resurrection life of Jesus. And as Paul says in, in this last verse here, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly. You know, we think we need all this stuff. We think we need all this money. And he's saying, no, no, God is able. You don't need other things. God is able to bless you abundantly. So in all things, not some things, but all things are all times, not sometimes, having all that you need, not some of what you need, but you've got to top it up, all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I think sometimes when we come to giving, we feel angsty when God speaks because we think we need some things, but we don't. In fact, it's not just that we don't need them, we actually need to not have them because they're stopping us from from relying on God and, and depending on him for what we need. And often it's only when you've given away 
and therefore you don't have it to rely on. You've given away and therefore you've let go of it. You've given away that you turn to the one who really can provide your needs. And it's in that place then that you discover what you truly need and what you truly didn't. And you realize, oh, I don't really miss that. And I never really needed it in the first place. But I didn't know because I don't know best what I need. I don't know best what I need. Um, I want to end. Um, I was tempted to avoid it. I'm not going to. Um, I want to end by just um, sharing how you can give to Redland, which is something that I hate doing, and therefore I think we often avoid and are embarrassed about. But I want to do it because I genuinely believe that to give is a joy, and to give is to bless, and therefore I want to kind of give us that opportunity, should that be how God's leading us. And I think I said this this morning, but... Um, Genuinely, like, I'm much more concerned in our kind of discipleship and that we're responding to what God is calling us to give than I am in the budget balancing. And, and, and for, for me, this very much is about us coming before God and asking him what we're supposed to give and giving of that. And if that means that the income goes down, great. Not in some ways because I have a headache, but like, great because that's the, that's the right rationale. Um, and so I share this because I want us to have this opportunity. I think we're sometimes embarrassed to give it, which I just think is um, my problem, not God's. Um, but if you do want to give to Redland, um, I think we've got a slide actually um, run. It's really easy. There's, there's, we give through, if you're not already aware, something called the Parish Giving Scheme. And the Parish Giving Scheme is um, it's really great. It basically, you give to the Parish Giving Scheme. They sort the gift aid out for us, which is kind of a tax reclaim. And then they pass the entire amount. They don't take any commission onto us. Saves us a lot of work, which is glorious. And you can, uh, you can apply, um, you can sort of say, I want to give by the parish giving scheme in two ways. You can either grab a form, there's some by the door, or you can go online. If you go to redland.church slash give, there's a link on there that you can click and you can set up to give. And you can also go on there if you already give through the parish giving scheme and you can set up an account, which means you can kind of um, look at what you're currently giving and you can you know, adjust it. You can put it up, you can put it down to your heart's content. Um, so I, I share that because I, I want those that would like to have the opportunity. But I want to end by um, asking the key question, the most important question, uh, and, and just giving us a minute to just pray about it, really. And that's this. How is God calling you to enter into this practice of generous giving? What does generous giving look like for you? What's he calling you to give? I wonder if I might pray and we'll just have a bit of time just to listen to God and to just start that process now. Jesus, thank you that you've given us immeasurably more than all we can ever comprehend you were willing to come and live on this earth. You were willing to die for us. You gave your life that we might have life. And I pray, Lord, that, that, that you would help us to, to give back to you, to, to respond in generosity to you. And I pray that you would now just guide us in what that practice of generous giving might look like for us. Let's just spend some time in, in just silence to just pray and just listen to Jesus.
wonder if um, God's just saying to a few people, as you started praying, the, kind of, the, the thing that's come up is, is being like guilt and shame. And I feel like God just wants to say, that's not me. And if that's what you're feeling or that's what you're experiencing, maybe you need to, to pray into that first because that's not how he is. That's not, he, he's not causing that. And, and that's something he wants to kind of get rid of. In fact, he has got rid of on the cross um, because that will stop you from entering into a true practice of generous giving. So if that's you, um, I, I might just pray. Um, Jesus, I just pray for those that are experiencing guilt and shame in regard to giving and money, that you would just wash away the guilt and the shame, that you would just speak your words of loving forgiveness over us now, that we can't earn your love if we want to. You still pour it upon us irrespective of where we're at, and you are not standing over us like a sort of headmaster ticking us off. You're standing before us as a loving father welcoming us in. And I just pray for those of us that are experiencing that, that, that you would just reveal yourself to them right now in your love. Draw close to us, God, I pray. This might just be me, but I, I just wonder if um, God's saying this applies to some people. There's some people here who, for whatever reason, you, you know, um, you're not fully able to kind of determine what you give by yourself. Um, um, you know, there's two people involved in the relationship, and and that's hard because maybe the other person has a different sense of what that should be, um, maybe because they've just got a different sense of it, but maybe because they're not part of church or what have you. And I just feel like God's saying, don't worry, that's okay. It's going to look different for you. Don't, don't feel condemned. we just thank you for the innumerable blessings you pour out on us. We receive them in your grace. And we just pray that you would continue as we go from here to guide us and lead us in what it means to be generous people who practice generosity and who depend on you for all that we need. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.